Hello, hello. Welcome to Turd Towers, a place where I get to talk all things turds and glitter with someone great. I'm ever so cosy under a blanket, conserving my energy and getting ready for a day at the hospital for more chemotherapy tomorrow. In today's episode, I actually discuss crying with my wonderful guest, Cariad Lloyd. And I'm really happy to announce I had the mother of all cries recently. And I really, really needed it. And I wonder when when was the last time you had a good cry? And as well as tears, we talk about grief and death and dying. Possibly my top three topics of conversation. I'm so glad people like Carrie Ad exist who make talking about this subject so much easier for other people. She's actually quite an expert on grief and you'll shortly discover why. You'll also hear my laptop sounding like it's about to launch into space. Sorry about that. Before I let you listen to today's episode, I just wanted to remind you that you can share your turd stories with me on a WhatsApp voice note. The number to do so is in the episode notes. And whilst you're there, please also follow this podcast so you never miss a future turd chat. Let's get on with the show. Enjoy. I, as usual, I have a little intro about you. Um, stuff that people have heard about. The great Cariad Lloyd. Um, <laughs> and if, in case they haven't, you are a comedian, um, an actor, a writer, a podcaster. Um, people may have seen you on a show called The Carriad Show or on a stage in Edinburgh or on QI, Have I Got News For You, um, in a completely improvised Jane Austen-style show called Ostentatious, which I really need to come and see. Um, oh, you'd love it, Chris. You yes. Come, let me know when you're in town, baby. Yeah. I'll get it, you a ticket. It sounds right up my street. Um, and also potentially on your award-winning podcast, Griefcast, where you talk to lots of different people about their experience of death and grief. Um, and it's the jolly topic of grief and death stuff that I guess brought us together because we mm. have shared um, a couple of stages talking about death because um, we're just such a real hoot. Um, <laughs> um, if you want a good time, Chris <laughs> yes. will come to your party and talk about your own mortality and have you thought about it like that is our vibe (laughs) well do you know what this is why I'm so excited about this conversation today because I love talking about it and it's so nice (laughs) to speak to um a kindred spirit in that sense for people listening I think it's going to be fascinating to hear how you combine the light and the dark stuff and obviously more than anything keen to hear what turd you have to bring to the table today so welcome (laughs) and thank you (laughs) Thank you for um, paying some interest in my turd choices. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, do you know what? I, the more I'm doing this, the more I realise that, you know, that maybe people haven't described a really shit moment in their life as a turd before. And I wonder today if you will tell me whether or not you have ever described what you're going to describe as a turd, as a turd before, and how that makes you feel. <laughs> yeah turd it's a real word isn't it it's a real it really I feel like you can hear it curling itself out it's it's very visceral I I have described definitely use the word shit moment that's Mm. what I I would describe that's shit 
And I think, especially when it comes to grief, um, I quite like describing it as just shit because I think sometimes people are a bit afraid um, to use that or they try and find like softer language. And actually, my experience and the people I've interviewed, it's really nice when someone goes, it's just so shit, isn't it? <laughs> it's just, I feel like that word just really gives the the gravitas of how crap something can be. Even crap, like it's all like the, the most yucky, crappy thing we can think of. I yeah. think sometimes the English language serves us really well. So well. So no, I, ha I haven't used the phrase glittering a turd, yeah, but okay. I do obviously know exactly mm. what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> so do you want to tell us which turd precisely you are going to talk to us about today? <laughs> well, I suppose um, <laughs> I suppose in general it is grief. Mm. If, that, if I'm allowed that turd at the table, yes. if, that, if you yes. want me to be more yes. specific. No. Um, so I guess the reason that I do the show, Griefcast, and the reason that I do talk about grief so much and try and, you know, bring the light and shade of it all, is that my dad died when I was 15 of pancreatic cancer. Um, he was diagnosed in February, he was dead by the April, so it's like very, very fast, very sudden. He was like extremely healthy person. Now, some people say that, like, oh, they're so healthy. The guy was like, he ran marathons, triathlons, he was training for an Ironman. So I like to just caveat that he wasn't just like he ate carrots, like he was a very healthy person, mm -hmm. which they said contributed to the fastness of his disease spreading because his metabolism was so fast. So like it just like zoomed on his body in a way that if he'd been older, Thanks, thanks, cancer. Mm -hmm. um, it would have taken this time. Uh, so that became when I sort of entered the grief club, as I say on my show, um, and that became a sort of fundamental moment in my life when everything I thought I knew, everything I thought made sense, everything I thought I could trust disappeared overnight. And I had to rebuild myself from that moment and I feel like I'm still doing it. I'm still rebuilding myself from that moment um, and still discovering things and, and, and understanding my grief in new ways as, as I get older. But that's been the moment that I think with the power of podcast and grief, turning it into a show where I talked about my grief, I kind of turned it into a, a grief that I felt like I had some control in, which is the thing about grief. You feel like you don't have much control. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's how I iced that cake so mm -hmm. to speak yeah so but what was your relationship i suppose like before with with death before he died was there much talk in your family about death um was he prepared for death was he what like how what was his <laughs> relationship like with death yeah so my mum's parents my grandparents had died the year before poor my mother lost mm. her parents and her husband in like two years um but they were kind of, you know, when you have distant grandparents, like I really like, I liked them, but they didn't live very near us and we didn't see them very often. And they were very nice, but it was that thing of like, oh, as a kid, you're like, oh, they, they are old. Like they did seem really old. So you don't kind of connect it so much. Um, my, so my family didn't particularly talk. We're a very open family. So I have parents that had like done a lot of like self-help and talk, mm -hmm. like we had family meetings. We're a very chatty family. But we hadn't really talked about death. I think they kind of felt we were probably a bit young and nothing had kind of come up, really. We'd lived quite a privileged life, quite blessed and privileged, um, you know, for many, for many reasons, in, you know, 
being white, being middle class, or not really experiencing particular hardships, you know, normal hardships, but nothing particularly difficult until my dad's death. Um, and when we talk about my dad, uh, did he accept his death? No, no, he didn't. He was a really bad patient, I suppose is the way to describe it. He he didn't want to talk about it. He didn't want to admit it was happening. He was he absolutely complete and utter like no no this is and like the week before he died he was giving me getting me to take notes for this trip he was planning so he ran his own business so he was still like you know right get get a pen carried we're gonna go to boston next week and and it wasn't like it wasn't like he was mad like he just couldn't accept it couldn't accept it and um i think with you know I don't know, my small experience of terminal illness, you live as you die sometimes. And he really was a very alive, loud person who was like, you know, you knew he was in the room. And it was like, he just couldn't, his brain was like, no, no, I'm not dying. And he did fight it in, I hate that phrase with cancer, but he did fight it in terms of what it was doing to him. I mean, it didn't win because it was a very short, short battle. Um, and I do a lot of work with pancreatic cancer as well because the PCUK um, charity, because it is a really crappy one in that there's no, there's not really any symptoms. And normally when people discover they've got it, it's really quite late. So that is also why there, you know, he had some chemo, but he probably shouldn't have had it. There wasn't really a hope in hell. But I think we all thought, oh yeah, you have cancer, you get chemo, don't you? That's yeah, that's what you do. Yeah, that's the worry. So, I think so many so often people think they need to try absolutely everything and mm. the doctor sometimes doesn't know when to say this is really not going to help you're yeah. in denial you don't want to hear it anyway and and so you're left in the situation where someone actually gets more poorly and they could have had a nicer ending not feeling quite as shit as they do but no one ever knows when to have that conversation and we just yeah. haven't after, even now we just don't know when mm. to say enough or I'm ready or and I guess in your dad's case because he was so hell-bent on living that that yeah. I guess couldn't come up for him um yeah it, it's I mean this was also like 20 plus years yeah. ago so I know things have changed and certainly the conversations I'm seeing around like end-of-life doulas and yeah. like the you know stuff that you've talked about like people are kind of I think 20 years ago if you'd said what if you just die people would have gone <gasps> like you want to kill them mm -hmm. whereas now i think we are reaching the place of like it's sometimes it's you know you are going to die that's okay mm -hmm. um and i think particularly for my dad so like you said he just couldn't accept it my mum said she tried to speak to the consultant and say like well why and how long has he got and this consultant apparently just kept saying well you never know you never know and she was like, I think we do know, don't we? Like, he looks really ill. And they were like, well, you never know. Like, so she still to this day doesn't know if, like, they had a separate conversation with my dad and he said, absolutely, I want everything. Or he just didn't understand. Or if the cancer had spread so far by then, he was making unusual decisions. You know, it's so much that when someone dies so quickly, there's just no time. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, they did give him chemo, which we all think didn't really, it didn't do anything. It made him very, very sick. So he went from being sick to like, oh, can't, can't get up, can't keep anything down, is in bed, looks awful. So, but we saw, I remember thinking, oh, that's just the cancer. But actually, I think obviously the chemo had a, wasn't great. Um, but of course it's such a, like you said, it's such a difficult conversation because 
for another person it might have bought them a couple of months you know and so I cannot you know it's not a simple conversation to say have you thought about not having any treatment? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I know it's a very painful conversation for people they leave behind as well, of like, oh, they didn't, you know, could, could we have got more? Could they have tried? But certainly hindsight being the wonderful thing that is, yeah, he didn't. It was too late by the time yeah. he was having chemo. I don't think he even finished his, you know, the set that they had planned for him. I think he maybe had two rounds and it was like, oh, okay, it's not working and he's so ill. And yeah. he basically went into the hospital after that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So he d- he died in hospice, right? So it, actually, for years I thought it was a hospice until my mum finally corrected me and was like, he never made it to the hospice. Oh. So he actually went to a hospital. Yeah, mm. I just completely misremembered. It was a very nice hospital that had a cancer ward and he was in a room sort of designed for people to die. So in my head it looked quite hospicey. Yeah. <laughs> and then one day she said to me, it wasn't a hospice. I was like, oh. So he was supposed to go to the hospice, but he just got too sick. Yeah. And it, as I said, it was of such a sudden deterioration. Mm. So you know, one week he was at home, then they had to take him into hospital to try and, you know, stabilise him. And then he was supposed to go from there to the hospice and he didn't even make it to the hospice. It was a very fast situation, which in pancreatic cancer can be quite can be quite common because yes. it's normally, he, it wasn't discovered till he got to his liver and he went yellow, which again is quite yeah. common. So mm-hmm. by the time anyone knew he was ill, he could have had it for who knows how long yeah. they've been going. Ugh, so you're a teenager dealing with that. Um, you grew up with a family that were, as you describe it, extremely honest. You practiced extreme honesty. So straight after, did you were you all able to talk about how your feelings around his death very quickly, or did that take some time? How did you work around grief immediately after? Yeah, we. You know, it's a very open. I feel very lucky. Um, I definitely didn't grow up in a family where it was like don't mention it and Mm. it's gone away like we all talked lots and lots and nods um but I think the thing that happens particularly with teenage bereavement as losing someone as a teenager is that you you can't really put it into words so I tried but I really didn't know what was happening and I was in shock you know when I look back now in terms of glittering that turd Mm. it took a long time because for a long time I was just like, what the fuck just happened? Like, you know, two months ago, my dad was alive and well and training for an Ironman and now he's dead. Like, what? what? Mm-hmm. Um, and he worked away a lot as well. So that also took, like, he often wasn't at home. So our fat, our immediate domestic situation didn't change that much either. So there was lots of stuff where you could kind of think, it's almost normal, isn't it? It's almost normal. Um, but we did, we did talk about stuff a lot, um, as much as I could find the vocabulary I think Um, but it took me a long time to think the kind of positive side of grief that I have now took a long 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 time Mm. (laughs) like and unique to you you've had so many conversations about it with lots of different people and you've heard other people Mm. other people's experiences and I think that sometimes shapes how you deal with things too because you see other people's perspectives and you're like oh yes I had not thought of it like that um but yeah, I mean, when I, my dad died suddenly too, well, not, obviously more suddenly than you, I guess you had a little bit of warning, but obviously yeah. it sounded like such a fast decline. But my dad died of a heart attack. And um, I still now even, I mean, I was 20, so that was 16 years ago. Um, now, I, I still haven't quite decided 
having lived with cancer for 13 years, a long, long, long terminal illness, or whether a quick departure like my dad. <laughs> I cannot decide which is better. Um, yeah, because I don't think there is a better no. in a way. We had all these conversations with people. Yeah. Like, there's just there's pluses and minuses to both. Yeah. <laughs> like... Yeah, and how we. But the only thing that I'm really grateful for is that I've had time. And I wouldn't really say that your dad really had much time to get his head around death and dying and ensure that his family got their heads around death and dying. Um, I have. I've had that opportunity to do that because it's been 13 years and I've had Mm. many a time um, uh, and situations where I can ponder these things um, because like living with this kind of mortality. Because, I mean, we should all be living with our mortality, but it's not as obvious as when you have to have scans every three months and Mm. see just how shit your turd is um (laughs) that it becomes very obvious so yeah I just um but even at 20 dealing with my dad's death like I just did not I had nothing set up in my head in my life that made me really understand that life could be quite so uh finite and so yeah. done with so quickly um so i yeah i totally just even if you have a family that is so honest and open and up for talking about this stuff it just there's nothing that can prepare you for it is there no and i say you know like a broken record on the grief cast but mm. i say that a lot on the show and i meet people who you know maybe their parent is has had cancer for a year or something and and they'll say oh you know I've done all my grieving <laughs> and I obviously everyone's different and that might be true true for them but I do sort of warn people like the di- once once someone is dead it's a really different thing it's a really different thing once the door is genuinely closed and you can't open it yeah. um and I think that's that's sometimes important like it, it's not that anyone's doing it wrong at all I would never ever say there's no wrong way to grieve there's mm-hmm. only the way that you do it but to to take death seriously in a way, I actually take death very seriously, which is why I can joke about it <laughs> because I take it so seriously that when someone is gone, I guess you have this experience as well, like the, like you said, the actual finite finiteness of somebody just being here, not being there, and does make you go, oh, I see, right, <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's yeah that's real isn't it like Mm -hmm. I I can't call them I can't ring them I can't see them Mm -hmm. and that's really different when it's not like oh it soon I won't be able to do that um and I think death is a real it's a real full stop you know Chris yeah (laughs) you know what it really doesn't muck around does it um so I take it quite seriously uh and I think like you said but obviously in a very different way to your experience because it's it's not that you know my own mortality is sort of in my face every day but I guess from talking to people about it so constantly and my own grief it's made death very sort of present in my life Mm -hmm. can we talk about crying for a second (laughs) sure yeah I mean crying's great right um I actually watched you in this little BBC documentary very short BBC documentary about the art of crying recently oh yeah the Mary Beard program yes (laughs) firstly you sat in a very cold room and you only had a oh jumper on. I can I see your breath. 
you can see my breath is freezing but let me tell you <clears throat> that is one of my i bought it for winter it was a little bit more than i should have paid for it but it is one of the warmest things known to man and it looks like a normal jumper but it's a super jumper chris i don't know what it is it's like mohair and alpaca or something okay. and i i genuinely had two thermals underneath it as well okay great <laughs> okay because i was genuinely I'm a little very, bit worried for yeah. you thank you i'm a very cold person and this last year i finally accepted i have to be dressed almost as a sheep for about six months of the year yeah. and if i have to pay for that that's fine okay <laughs> yeah no i yeah. totally think invest in good warm clothing yeah. um good warm woolens yes it's my new my uh, new life mantra <laughs> agreed um but you say in that that when you were a kid you used to dig your fingers fingernails into your palm to stop you from crying mm. um did you do that after your dad died or did you just let the floodgates open it really depended where I was um and yeah it was like I was very afraid of being vulnerable and I think especially when you lose someone young like you know we both experienced it's a very you know you you're still forming as a person and then this huge thing happens to you and you're trying to like sort of catch your breath and put your feet down um so I felt very like when the crying was uncontrollable it felt just terrifying to me just absolutely terrifying of like and i think i had what a lot of grieving people have of like oh my god is this if i start i don't think i'll stop like i think i'll just drown in tears so definitely what i used to do when i was at school uh if a nice teacher tried to ask like dig your nails in to your palm yeah i'm fine yeah it's fine oh you know we just we're a bit, obviously your dad's passed away yeah no it's really sad it's it's yeah yeah it, it, but it's what he would have wanted because he he really would have hated to be ill for so long so i had like a great sentence and then they would go oh okay well she seems fine <laughs> so i didn't let the tears flow but when i was on my own and i felt safe then yes my god i would bore my eyes out um but i think that's the thing with grief as well it's like you sort of learn quite quickly that you're you're dealing with quite a raw emotion that some people find quite upsetting and threatening and you do as well so you learn i definitely learned quite quickly of like oh this is quite emotion where you can't you can't just let this out anywhere you can't just in a math lesson start bawling your eyes out because people are going to ask too many questions or then they get they might send you for help which i really didn't want so i learned sort of like okay you have to contain this and have to find a place for it where but i was sort of able to do that i don't know how um I think it was just survival of like you know i wasn't ready to open the box and talk about it um but now i'm much more of a like cry whenever like don't worry about it mm. um and i think that's much healthier <laughs> so much healthier yeah no I, yeah i'm i'm the same i i feel like there are there's a time and a place but then equally why why does there have to be a time yeah. and a place for crying um i think it's once you learn how to deal with your own grief or sadness that's great but then there's lots of people who aren't prepared for your grief and sadness mm. um and it shouldn't be this way but i do think as people who have trauma or pain you need to be careful about where you place that as well and that that's a lesson that takes time that some people will, will say that if you take your pain to the wrong person you know they might be cruel or they might be unthinking or they might be insensitive and and you know that might be because of their own trauma and their own issues so the time and place thing i definitely ignore like decorum like i'll you know if i want to cry and someone's like oh but we're 
we're in church, it's not appropriate or something. I'd be like, one, why am I in church? Two, um, <laughs> two, it's fine. But I definitely am more careful with people. I think, yeah, I don't think you're going to get this. So I might try and find a friend that does get it because maybe you're my friend that is really fun and good for chatting about nothing. But I want the friend that isn't going to like go, oh, you'll be fine. Oh, it was ages ago. Don't worry about it. Like, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. <clears throat> um, I, I'm actually quite grateful for the pandemic for actually the mask wearing because there's been so mm. many moments that my mask has whopped up my tears um, mm. when... I didn't know I was going to cry and then suddenly they just come out of nowhere just, I don't know, shopping at Sainsbury's um, mm. and something just completely overwhelms you. Um, but yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Like, we, you know, we all talk about wearing the masks in society, but yeah, we literally spent two years wearing physical masks and it did mean we could walk around expressing ourselves mm. a lot more freer yes. than we had done, which has its own complications. Um, but yeah, I can, you know, as someone who suffers from anxiety terribly, there was times when I had that mask on and I could just be having a small anxiety breakdown and nobody would know. Yeah. And that would enable me to leave Sainsbury's, take the mask off and be like, oh, okay, like I was feeling this and now I'm okay. Now I've removed myself or I've done this. But it definitely felt like, oh, good, I don't have to worry about anyone knowing. Yeah. Yeah. There's, that's definitely one perk. Thanks, COVID. Um. <laughs> Um, so uh, yeah, let's move on to the glitter in all its wholeness. Um, I just think what you've done with Griefcast, I, uh, there couldn't be anything more glittery, really, off the back of <laughs> something so monumental that happened to you at a young age. Um, but I mean, what what really made you want to speak to other people about grief and death and dying? It's funny. It's not funny. I mean, it's, mm. it's just true how I work. Um, I wonder if you have this, Chris, that sometimes you just do things and you don't think about them. And it's only later you realise what you were do what you were doing. That's what I have a lot in my life. So when initially when I started, I didn't realise how much I needed to talk about it. Yes. <laughs> I just thought, oh, podcasts are really popular. Um, this was 2016. Lots of comedians were doing podcasts. And it really was quite a small little world that like com comedians were doing and doing their own sort of funny shows. And I thought, oh, you know, if I had one, I'd just talk to people about death. Ha ha ha. That's mm -hmm. a terrible idea. And I thought, well, no one would listen. So, you know, put that idea down. And then it just didn't go as an idea. And I've learned to listen to my ideas that won't go away. So haven't I, if I have one that just keeps popping up and keeps knocking at the door, I've just learned through the years to go, okay, we'll do that one. Then that's decision made. So um, I just thought, oh, I'll just start recording it. And I recorded four conversations, put them out there, didn't really think about it. And then had this huge wave of people being like, oh God, thank you. Yes, this is what I feel like. And I want to hear this. And so then as soon as I got the validation, <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, I can carry on doing this. And then what I realized in hindsight was, oh, I, I needed to talk about it. I, I needed people who understood how I felt. And I'd obviously had lots of conversations with people who, you know, friends who were being kind or who, were sympathetic it wasn't like I wasn't surrounded by brilliant people who were helpful but I found so much healing in talking to people who really understood what it's like to have grief um and what it's like to think about death and have death be so present and yeah you know I think that's you know when we first met you just have you meet people and you just think oh they get it they get it mm -hmm. okay I'm not having to like 
take some bricks down a wall for them and be like, have you looked over here? Do you understand what's over here? Mm. Um, so that became quite selfishly, I suppose. It, 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 that's where it sort of came from, me kind of needing to do it and not wanting to admit that. And then the more I did it, the more it helped me. And the more my grief started to make more sense and the more I started to learn so much about grief. And I also learned so much about pancreatic cancer, which really helped as well. All this, you know, just all the information, I think. I'm someone who really benefits from information. It, it helps my anxiety. So the more information I got about grief and how people process it and this particular way he had died and how he died and, you know, the privilege of getting to speak to people like Dr. Catherine Mannix, um, palliative care consultant, yeah, the legend. And her going through with me, like, this is what happens when someone dies. It was like, oh, oh, that's what happened when he, oh, right, great. Like, I didn't know. I, there was so much stuff I didn't know. Um, so I feel really lucky that I've, that these people have been kind enough to share these conversations with me because I feel like I have benefited so much. Um, so kind of the glittering, it, it did, it, <laughs> it was me trying to make the, the best of so much pain. And then I would get a lot of response from other people saying, oh, this is also helping us, which kind of spurred me on to go, oh, okay. It would feel selfish if it was just me benefiting from this. But the fact that I can put it out publicly as a podcast and people can download it, we're all benefiting. So we're all learning what happened to our loved one when they died of a terminal illness. Or we're all learning how it feels to lose a sibling or lose a partner or lose a child. And we're all understanding that. And that's helping us with you know, empathising and our own grief and their grief. And it, yeah, it just became, as we say on the show, a club. And I suddenly felt like, wow, this is, you know, grief had been so awful for so many years and so lonely and so isolating. And suddenly it was like, oh, wow, grief could be something else. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a total bonus, I guess, when you realise that you're helping other people too. But um, in a way, you were conducting your own therapy without really knowing it to start with. Um, yeah definitely <laughs> <laughs> maybe potentially cheaper therapy um, so would you say your attitude or your um, your thoughts about grief have changed over the time that you've done it um, is there anything that really hit you in the face you're like oh I didn't realise that from doing it or yeah was there anything that has changed for you for doing the podcast yeah, massively, massively. I should caveat that I also, at the same time as doing the podcast, started actual therapy for the first time in my mm. life. And that, hand in hand, I think I couldn't have done one without the other, actually. Yeah. <laughs> the private therapy helped me deal with all the stuff that's coming up on the podcast, and the podcast helped me sort of ask other questions of other people, like, do you also have this? Um, but yeah, so my grief has is unrecognisable from where it was. It was a very, it was a very painful private place. And it was very, yeah, isolating. And the more I shared and the more other stories I absorbed of other people's grief and I realised that, you know, yes, mine was two things at once, actually. I really realised how traumatic my grief was. I'd always thought, well, people's parents die, you know, it's not the worst thing that can happen. And it made me realise, actually, the suddenness and the severity of that death was really shocking and, and, and caused quite a trauma in me. Um, might have affected someone else's differently but it definitely was very traumatic for me mm -hmm. to deal with and then I realised also at the same time that actually my grief wasn't as traumatic as all lots of other people and that actually we're all suffering in some way and my grief wasn't this magical special thing it was a really normal thing that everybody was suffering from so at the same time it helped me accept 
why I had felt so much pain and that we were all in this pain. Mm, so <laughs> and it also allowed me to... Then as well. Yeah, really reassuring. And I don't know if you have this with, uh, you know, the cancer community or, you know, people who are dealing with a terminal illness and living, but just that feeling of like, oh, I thought it was just me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, as soon as you realise it's not just you, it's a very reassuring human feeling because we are, you know, tribal beings and we do like, you know, we like to know when we're, we're not weird. <laughs> and so I think I was like, oh, great. There's loads of us here. There's actually loads of us here. Um, and then when I started doing like Griefcast live events, so we'd record the podcast live and on, I just have three comedians like planning their funeral and stuff and just a, making this space to talk about death in a really friendly, open way and getting to speak to people who, you know, listen to the show or, or have been affected by it and sort of realizing, oh, this doesn't, this doesn't have to be super, super painful. It can be super painful and reassuring and kind and funny. It can be all of these things. And I just didn't, when I started Grief Us, I, if you, you know, if you'd said that to me, I wouldn't, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have known that. I would have said, you know, grief is a really painful thing and, you, and it never changes. <laughs> and now I know that it is really, really painful, but it changes. Yes. Yeah, and for other people to hear that at various stages of their grief must be yeah a wonderful, reassuring, and helpful thing. Um, yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm obsessed talking about death. I just <laughs> ever give an opportunity, I will. And um, but then I'm kind of in that stage in my life. I'm in my mid thirties, and when I'm with friends, um, the conversation doesn't easily lead to death and die. <laughs> unbelievably. <laughs> Um, a lot of the time it's about children and bedtime (laughs) and sleep and, um, shows we might have watched on Netflix and getting married and all these things. And, um, I don't know if you have any advice for me of like, how can I switch it from (laughs) babies to death in milliseconds and how that, (laughs) and how I can make that normal for my friends because I'm still learning. I'm still trying to, because what I've learned myself and when I have managed to get through to people about death and dying with my close people like my twin you know they feel reassured that having those conversations you know as I keep saying time and time again talking about death doesn't bring bring it on any faster Um, you can talk about it leave it on the shelf and then pick it up another time or whatever but just not talking about it at all is far more stifling and scary um, but how do you just bring it up in day-to-day life? It's tricky. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's definitely tricky. I think, um, huh. I mean, it helps if you're known for it. Like, I feel like me and you now, yeah. people won't be like, what? What the hell did she just say? So I think that helps. <clears throat> I think previously when I tried to bring it up and I hadn't, I didn't do the show, people were like, oh god what whereas now they're like oh yeah she's the girl who talks about death okay okay I c- and then they relax a bit because they're like oh she must know how to have this conversation without us all crying mm-hmm. and you think <clears throat> well I'll try um I try and I try I guess and lead by example so if I do have a conversation um if I do have a conversation with someone about death I try and make sure that it's quite light open and that uh, they can walk away from it when they want. So then they learn, 
Oh, if I do have a question, I can ask Harriet because she didn't be like, you will die. <laughs> like we're all, you know, like I find like if you close the door on them too early, they, they get spooked. <laughs> so you have to go gentle mm -hmm. and just be like, oh, yeah, sure. Like, you know, what do you, you know, do you want to be buried or cremated? Like, God, I mean, imagine if the wrong thing got happened or you got hit by a bus and no one knows or like, oh, my God, pass you know, like, yes, passwords are annoying. Like, do you have one main password that you, you've told like your your partner or your you know twin or your best friend like is there something like that would maybe get into a few email accounts <laughs> like or you know wills or um oh advanced care plans like mm -hmm. you know advanced care plans i'd probably like say for like the third conversation <laughs> but like no, i think you just yeah yeah and also you know just sort of gently opening that conversation um you know we all know people who've died we all have lost someone along the way we've all read about a famous person that's died like there's sort of it's not like it's not in the air and especially the past two years my god in the past two years it's it's literally been in the air mm -hmm. um both metaphorically and physically yes. and so i think just sort of if you can yeah lead by example and be like oh i've been thinking about my funeral <laughs> oh have you yeah yeah so like i definitely don't want to be buried i want to be cremated and normally people have an opinion on it like they they've thought about it they just haven't discussed it so normally someone would be like oh oh no i couldn't the idea of being cremated is like terrifying to me and you're like oh how cool have you told someone like have you written that down and told someone so but making it like you know breezy <laughs> nice and breezy and then if the conversation moves away it's like fine um to try and make sure that it 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 should be in the same realm that like you said of like, oh, have you seen this new Netflix show? Like, mm -hmm. oh, did you see so-and-so had a baby? Oh my God, did you see her wedding dress? It was awful. Oh, also, mm -hmm. would you want to be buried or cremated? Like it <laughs> exactly. should be just like another yes. topic. Yeah. Um, and if you can switch from it to, oh yeah, me cremated. Oh my God, I know. I don't know why she got married in purple. Such a weird choice. <laughs> like if you can do that, then everybody feels like, oh, I see death's like an easy conversation. Yeah. But it's when death becomes a, you know, painful conversation. But I think you have, unfortunately you have to lead and be like, you know, breezy about it. But yeah. that's, and then find your tribe, the people who are really happy to talk about death. Then you can have like the hardcore conversations like advanced care plans or, or you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I think half the time I'm trying to convince people that I'm not scared of talking about it. And, mm, and if I do yes. bring it up, it's not necessarily just all about me. It's it, the, the death conversation isn't reserved for people who are actively dying. It's for yes, everyone. Definitely. And I think people might think that if I'm about to have that conversation, it's about me suddenly sharing, you know, scary death thoughts, which I might, mm. but this is about you being given an opportunity to share your thoughts on your own death too. And um, I'm giving you space for that. Um, so yes, I'll keep trying. <laughs> I guess people, I guess with you as well, it's like, you know, what you're dealing with is a very extreme end of facing your own mortality. Yeah. So I guess that's people are like being polite. Like they don't want to be like, well, that's, that's not, you know, like if you want to talk about it, like, okay, you go first. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, let me know what you want. Because they, like you said, every moment becomes like quite weighted mm -hmm. or dramatic of like, oh, Chris is going to tell me something. And you're right. Like, there's no reason. I think we said this when we did that talk with the brilliant Kimberly St. John all those years yeah. ago, that you were like, there's no reason I'm going to go first over someone getting hit by a yeah. bus. Like we're all in the same boat, but people are acting like, oh, you know, she's ahead in the queue. And that's not true. Like 
so anyone can get diagnosed anyone can have something happen to them but we like to feel in control and we like to think oh no well i'm i'm not going to i'm not going to i'm not i'm yeah. not ill yeah. and that's that comes back to what you're saying of like you don't have to be actively dying to have the conversation yeah. like you can be the most healthy and well in your life and still have the conversation and actually that's probably the best time yes. to have the conversation yeah. when you're not on you know hardcore drugs or you're in lots of pain like yeah. you can make those decisions freely um but i think it's sort of an idea in our heads that we like to think i'm somehow safer mm. than you know somebody who currently has cancer which mm. isn't necessarily yes, true not. and that's quite a scary thought it is and uh, me saying that you know i and i do say it a lot um, and it's happened so much because I've been around for 13 years and people die in that time um, yeah, yeah. and it's just so almost so tragic that me saying that and then Kim dying who organised the whole event that we talked at yeah. um, so tragically and so suddenly I mean that was a case in point even though she was very active in the death space and the death conversation she probably still wasn't expecting it. She's very likely still looked at me like everyone else and thought, oh, Chris is talking about terminal illness because she is terminally ill. The chance of mm. her going first, I mean, yes, maybe slightly more um, likely, but not, it's not, nothing is guaranteed. Um, you know what, Chris, I hadn't even thought of that. That's really, so yeah, we should say, <clears throat> Kimberly St. John was an amazing palliative care nurse that we both knew who passed mm. away very suddenly. And that's how we met. She organised a live event to chat about death yeah. <laughs> and she was amazing yes. and really campaigned in like the you know to make sure people were aware of their choices and and you know did and i remember us sitting on that panel and you saying that and yeah here we are sitting here having lost kimberly mm -hmm. and you know i think that is a you know and i think kimberly of all people would be like yeah i told you <laughs> like yeah. it be prepared yes. it's it's too easy for us to sit back and go Oh, yeah, but not me. And, you know, there's absolutely no reason why me at 15, my dad should have a healthy man developed pancreatic cancer. There was no history of it in our family. He was extremely healthy, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, same with you, like your dad dropping dead of a heart. Like mm -hmm. things happen, mm -hmm. things happen. And it's not to be morbid or negative to focus on them, but it's to be real and go, oh, okay. So cars drive on the road. So I don't run out in the road. I check to see if a car's coming. Okay, so humans die. I'm a human, so I'm going to die. So, okay, what would I like to happen when I'm gone? Because I won't be here to direct it. So who have I told? Like, it's just to be very practical. Yeah. yeah. And I, I personally think the more I, I can really hone in on death and um, work on my relationship with it, the more my life feels great and more mm. um fruitful and vivid and it just makes me appreciate life more so that's a bonus if anything it's not about yeah. focusing on oh i'm not going to be here anymore it's about well what is it about death that i'm d trying to deal with here and what how does that make me want to live better um it makes me consciously live better um so that's never a bad thing so we kind of kind of move on to because time is moving on really swiftly i want you to tell me one main lesson that you've learned from your third and why you think about that i want you to tell me one tangible thing um this could be something real not real um a place a person an item of food that has particularly helped you glitter your turd um so those two things please um yeah i think the main thing i've learned is 
kind of what we said earlier that that pain can change and i think when you're in pain when you when you're faced with the turd you think especially when you're talking about turd mm-hmm. um it's so painful that you're you know you think well this is how i feel forever and it will never like i'll never be able to move past this it's so overwhelming and i think grief really does sort of sit on your chest in that way it's often described as like this sort of heavy weight in your chest of like how will i ever feel happy again how will mm. i ever laugh or breathe and all of that stuff and and I, and that's why i one of the reasons I, I do talk about it is to go well look hello waving at you 20 plus years in it changes and it's not like as i said it's not to say it becomes rainbows and unicorns but it it becomes something else within your life and i think that's I sort of say that to everyone I meet who's who's just lost someone, who's just joined the club, who's just had to suffer watching someone die or find out someone's die suddenly or, or prolonged. And I, you know, I'm always saying like, it, you won't feel like this forever. You won't, however you're feeling. Um, and I think that's a sort of magical lesson to know of mm-hmm. a magical lesson to know of being a human that yeah. whatever you're going through, happy or sad it's all transient yes um yeah it's so good that that can that's a transferable lesson to all of life's turds yeah yeah and i think it's it's something you're told a lot as a kid of like oh you know like it won't hurt forever like if you fall over or something oh it won't hurt tomorrow and you kind of you sometimes don't move it on to other things of like yeah like heartache you won't feel like this forever grief you won't feel like this forever um sadness anxiety depression all of these things that are hard for us to bear um, you won't feel like that forever. Just the, that's just not how human brains and bodies work. They just get bored and they move on. Um, and object or thing? Um, oh, I know what I have to say. So <laughs> I used to smoke. I know, very bad, very bad, Chris, obviously. We're pretty anti-smoking around here, I'm guessing. Everyone, boo, boo, boo. But I used to smoke as a teenager and um, I gave it up. I was very good in my late 20s. I finally gave it up and I was a heavy smoker. But I replaced it with something because I have addictive tendencies. And I have to say, I feel like it's not the best thing in the world to replace it with. But it has saved me. And it's the power of cake. The power of cake. Like, I have just... Whenever I've been going through really hard things, you know, I make a cake or I make myself some cookies or biscuits or, you know, something sweet. And I feel like... And I'm not talking like just having a dairy milk or something crap. No, that's not that's not self-love. That's not that's the same as the smoking. It was mm-hmm. bad. But to give yourself that like that moment where you go, if I have a cup of tea and cake, I think this feeling will pass. Yes. Well, <laughs> and that has been yeah. yeah, transformative for me to just accept cake into my life fully and not avoid it. And if you ever see good cake, have it. Never walk away from good cake. If there's an opportunity to make good cake and you can, make it. And if you're in a shop and there's a posh cake and you think, oh, I shouldn't. No, you should. Because life's too short for bad cake. Such a good life lesson and mantra. <laughs> um, I don't know if you know, but um, in the part of Germany that I grew up in, the, this, there's a type of cake that is served at every funeral. It's a, type <gasps> of, it's a funeral cake. Um, and it's delicious and it's full of butter and sugar and oh, wow. um, and it's yeah it's classic it comes out at every single that's funeral that's amazing so yes, I love that yes. so much yeah I highly recommend going to funeral in northern Germany um, so oh yeah we God. had it at my dad's de- a funeral my grandma's and yeah it's delicious 
But isn't that interesting that during something so painful, you're serving something sweet yes. to remind people that life will be sweet again. Mm -hmm. And I think like if you could like that, that tradition is amazing. I'm yes. having that. I'm yes. annoyed I didn't know about that. Mm -hmm. I need to add that to the funeral plan. I want well, German funeral cake. Yes. Um, okay. We are going to listen to someone else's turd story and how they glittered theirs. Today, we're listening to Leslie's glittering a turd story. Hi, Chris. My name is Leslie and I have glittered a turd. Uh, just like you, I have stage four uh, or secondary breast cancer. And on the day that I happened, uh, on the August the 16th, 2018, my children in particular and my family with my husband decided to react to the news by doing random acts of nonsense. It was all about creating memories, laughing and smiling. The first act we did was running to the sea. And since then, we've been encouraging people to be a little bit daft because not only does it create great memories with friends and family, but it's also really bloody good for you to be daft and laugh and just enjoy some good old silly fun. So I've glittered a turd by being amazingly silly and spreading the word of nonsense. Ugh, I love that. <laughs> that was so good. Um, I often have to remind myself to be a bit more silly. So thank you, Leslie, for reminding me in this moment. And um, I mean, Carrie, do you think you needed that reminder too? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. I think we always need, you know, just kick up the bum sometimes to find the moments of joy because yeah. life will serve you the crap, the turds. Yeah. So it's your job to go, okay, well, thank you for those turds. And now I'm going to go and find the glitter and put it on there. Otherwise... It's just hurts, guys. Yes. No one wants that. <laughs> um, yeah, being more daft, being more silly. What a brilliant way of looking at it. And I love random acts of nonsense. I'm going to take that into my own life. Thank you, Leslie. Um, I hope that's been helpful for other people listening to. Uh, I was worried she was going to say ra random acts of kindness. I was like, no, think about yourself. <laughs> and I'm so glad that she is and doing that with the people that she loves. Um, that is a great example of turd glittering. I love it. Okay, all right. So um, let's round things up. Um, Carrie, thank you so much for speaking to me about your turd and grief and death. Um, thank you for well having this conversation with me today but having these conversations constantly and allowing other people to have them with the people that they love i think they're just so it's so important that we do have these conversations about grief and death and dying um because it's going to happen to us all if it hasn't already um yeah thank you thank you for allowing that space finally then let's cheers to life and all of its turds Cheers. Oh, yes, please. I'm cheersing now. And it's a lovely glass of slightly cold water because it's chilly in the house. <laughs> well, I really hope today's episode may spark some important grief or death conversations with the people in your life. Please do check out Cariad's podcast, Griefcast, and make sure you read her book when it comes out soon. I really love that Carriad reminded me and hopefully you that whatever we're currently dealing with, whatever turd it might be, that it won't last forever. And cake. There's always cake. <laughs> thank you so much, Carriad. Thank you, Leslie, for your turd tale and thank you for listening. 
I will see you next time. Loads of love to you all. Bye. Bye.